Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight uh, to another Thursday evening broadcast here on Golf Talk Live's blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining me. As mentioned, uh, we're going to be starting things off here in just a moment with uh, another great round of Coach's Corner, and I'll bring out the gang here in just a second. And then a little bit later on, actually, one of the panelists is going to be joining me uh, along with another great guest. They're coming back for a regular series uh, for the remainder of the year, and we're going to talk about some other special things going on as well. And I'll introduce those uh, a little bit later on the show as well. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. And a special thank you to GolfSwing.com for sponsoring the Coach's Corner uh, panel this season here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, GolfSwing.com with their cutting-edge technology have teamed up alongside some of the best golf instructors, coaches, and swing gurus in the business. Uh, Together they have created one of the best video teaching and training online platforms in golf, period. So if you're ready to break 100, 90, 80, or even 70, then join their online video academy and learn from some of the best. And if you enter promo code GOLFTALKLIVE at checkout, you'll receive 50% off the subscription price. So join today, watch, practice, and improve your game. And again, special thank you to GolfSwing.com for sponsoring the Coach's Corner panel. All right, uh, as I said, I've got a great panel uh, coming on this evening. Uh, First uh, up is uh, John Decker. Uh, He's a PGA instructor with GolfSwing.com and a motivational speaker. Uh, He's a former teaching professional at the New Albany Country Club and the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, He's a prior head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, where he worked under top 100 instructors Fred Griffin and the late Phil Rogers. Uh, he also authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying, the, uh, Glorifying God Through the Game, uh, which has an accompanying Bible study. Uh, also on the panel is Peter Agazarian, uh, owner and director of performance for Northeast Performance Institute, uh, owner and president of Northeast Golf Performance. He's the uh, 2017 Northeast uh, New York PGA Player Development Award recipient, and he's also a trackman master and a proponent uh, group member. Uh, also rounding up the panel is Alicia Larson. She is a Class A LPJ teaching professional and founder and president of Gratitude Golf LLC. And she's also an author of The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf, and coaches everybody from uh, beginner, intermediate, and advanced players. So, guys, thank you very much for coming on tonight, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. I, I, appreci- All right, I appreciate it. All right, um, John, I'm going to start off with you tonight, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll go in the order that I introduced you, and then I'll, I'll mix it up as we go along. Uh, a couple of things I want to talk about tonight on the show, and first and foremost, um, we're going to start with this one here, and we're going to talk about uh, the more advanced player, uh, such as a touring pro or a high-level player. Um, what do you think, in your opinion, if you were coaching uh, one of these players, and again, it could be LPJ or PJ or or some of the other feeder tours, what would you want them to take away from both a win and a loss? 
That's a great question. Um, first of all, Ted, I want to thank you uh, for having me on the show, and Alicia and Peter, I look forward to being on the show with you as well. Um, the, the thing about uh, you know working with the better players, whether you're working with a better player or just your average golfer, is I guess the the main thing from the win is is uh, obviously if you're if you've won a tournament, you've got a lot of things going on that you know in your game that are everything is pretty much clicking at a high level. Uh, there's very few players out there that can kind of have their quote-unquote B or C game like Tiger described years ago and still win a tournament. Most tour players, most of your your guys on the mini tours, if they're winning a tournament, they are playing at their extreme best. So I would, uh, first of all, want them to, uh, you know, after the, the, the highs of winning, is I would, I would want them to kind of journal maybe some of the things that, uh, whether it was swing thoughts, uh, maybe their mental preparation, some keys to, to, to why they played well, not to overthink it and not to uh, get into too much of where you're going through and, and dissecting your game, but at least have some things so that when you're not playing well, we all know that we go through those periods as well, you have something to fall right. back on. Um, typically, when someone's not playing well at that level, the average golfer would be amazed when you work with a tour player or you work with a better player, the majority of the time you're working with them on their setup. And when the the tour players are like a, a fine, finely tuned car, a high performance car, if something gets off just a little bit, they have the ability with their short game to, to get it around and, and, and kind of get from point A to point B but they know it. They know they're off a little bit. They're so aware of where their club face and their ball interaction is. So, um, you know, typically because their swings are already good, there's usually something in their setup. Maybe they were playing in high winds and they started moving the ball back in their stance, or maybe they were pulling the ball and they were, you know, their alignment. So they started aiming a little bit right. Usually it's, it's little things like that, 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 uh, you know, we go back and, and address. And once you get those straightened out, their contact comes back, they start hitting the ball better, and they're usually, you know, get back on track. Right. And and, and the loss as well, I mean, obviously, uh, again, they're not playing at their best. They've lost. Um, are there differences of, of what they might want to take away from that experience as opposed to, to winning? Obviously, winning, they're, again, on a high. They, they're, you know, excited and, and uh, you know, um, you know, enjoying the moment. Uh, but losing, there's a lot of things that they take away. So, uh, again, sort of journaling their experience, the, the highs and the lows throughout the round, and, and kind of using that as uh, a way of propelling them for future events? Yes, and, and you know, the the thing about the, the tour players, I mean, most tour players, um, you know, and like my experience in 2008 out there, the first month or so was really rough because I just started working with Bob Sowers. Uh, he got off to a rough start. Uh, but by the end of the year, he had his, he had a top 10 finish and, and was playing really well. But one of the first things he did is he called me up. He knew exactly what he needed to work on. He knew he needed to work on his ball striking. Tour players, when they shoot a bad round, they know what's wrong. They know, okay, I know I have to work on my putting or I have to work on my short game or I have to hit more fairways or whatever it is. They're, they're so in tune to their stats. Uh, they know pretty much uh, after the round's over. You know, they dissect, all right, here's where I'm off. And then we go work on that, you know, where whatever's weak, their weak link is, we go to that first. Uh, and for Bob, it was his ball striking. That was what we what we spent the majority of, of 2008 working on. Right. 
Yeah, and I, and I think obviously that as you said, the the tour pros are kind of like a well-oiled machine, if you will. They kind of know uh, already when they're out there and they're playing um, what's not working right. And more often than not, what they'll do is at the end of the round or certainly the next opportunity, that's what they're going to work on. Um, I think the difference is obviously we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But um, Peter, what about you? I mean, obviously I'm sure you agree with a lot of, uh, of what John just said. Um, but, you know, there's, there's always... Um, I guess a different perspective. So, from from, from your perspective, with with some of the higher level players that you've worked with, what were things? What were key things that you discussed with them or pointed out to them that you wanted them to take away when they did win, and obviously when they lost, what what again did you want them to focus on, and and sort of not focus on in order to dwell on maybe some negative issues. No, I, and you're right. I do agree with you know, a lot of what John said there, but as their coach, you want to make sure they're enjoying the victory. They're not dissecting what could have been better. Just give them a grace period afterward to enjoy what happened. And then once you just, you know, you as a team decide to get back to work, uh, whether there are, you know, obviously winning, there's positives. And I'm sure there's going to be concerns but at the same time, as their coach, either they win or lose, it's it's important that I'm asking the right questions and forcing them to think in certain ways that's going to be most constructive and help them reach their own resolutions as to maybe what was going so well or on the other end of the spectrum as to you know, maybe make them aware of something that they didn't think about. Um, even though they might be very keenly in tune as to what what they have technically going on, but it might have, you know, their poor round or poor score might go back to the decisions they are making rather than the, the enforcing them to execute shots that were a low probability of happening to begin with. So I think it's very important as their coach just in a general sense to in, inspire their own thinking and to help them reach their own conclusions as to why. Right, right. Well said. Um, and Alicia, I want to just, you know, again, I know it's the same question. I know I try not to re- repeating it here, but I want to tackle this from a slightly different approach. Um, I know that you talk uh, or, you know, have written a great book, uh, really, that focuses on self-talk. And, you know, a lot of players win or lose, that self-talk sort of comes in. Obviously, when, when things going well, as the gentlemen have both indicated, uh, you know, there's sort of a celebratory uh, mindset, if you will. Um, but there are some tour players out there that might still, uh, even though they've won the event, start to dwell and think on some negative things that happened throughout the round and kind of de- derail that a little bit. So I want you to approach it from that aspect, if you will, the same question, um, how what you would want them to take away and what you want them to really focus on mentally in both situations. Yeah, that's, I mean, these are all great answers, and it's a great question, and, and I, I mean, I, I usually try to approach, you know, getting feedback from, from a positive perspective and saying, you know, what was, what was good about your round, and then what could be better about your round, so you're not focusing too much on the, you know, the, even though you're going to get to the, 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 the things that need to be worked on, you're going to get to them somehow, some way, dissecting it, um, but I like to approach it that way, and 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 like I think 
one of the gentlemen said they'll, they're they're going to have their own little epiphanies about and resolutions as to what what needs to be worked on and that sort of thing too. Um, want, but we initiate just kind of asking the, the the gentle questions and sometimes sometimes it could even be tough questions. But um, so what was good and what could be better? Um, I, I think the mental toughness. Like I usually ask students like what kind of interference was going on that day. So you know how was it, did you not feel well and and or you just yet your your focus wasn't good because it was maybe somebody in your family was not feeling well or they're ill and there just could be interference with a game that you have to kind of take into account and and that helps with kind of the the, the mental you know mental toughness during the round but um and also at the end then it helps with the self talk of they can kind of say yeah I just had a lot going on and it just wasn't my day kind of thing um, and they maybe got in their head too much, but I think the self-talk part of it, as far as during during a round and when you get done, how you look at it is what was good today, and that's positive. Saying and what could be better is okay. What do I need work on? So the self-talk is is positive either way. And I usually will ask my students, how was your self-talk during the round? And your awareness is a really big key to that as well. So I, 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 I'm big on the awareness of what was your self-talk during the round and what was your self-talk maybe after you got done. And, and, and as far as like if it was an outcome that you wanted or if it wasn't an outcome that you wanted. But either way, we're going to reframe some of the things if they're too hard on themselves. Right. Well said, um, Alicia. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of things, you know, people might, might look at this from a standpoint, well, they won the tournament. So of course they're going to be happy. And, but you'd be surprised, John, you know, as you pointed out earlier, you know, Tiger Woods sometimes would win and he wasn't playing his a game. And, you know, the rest of us are, are kind of scratching our heads thinking, well, what do you mean you weren't playing your a game? You won the tournament, but to a player at that level, especially a Tiger Woods or, or some of the other really high caliber players out there on tour, um, will actually pick themselves apart, which can be detrimental. I mean, we've seen great players, uh, Nick Faldo comes to mind, that were constantly revamping their swing. It was never, you know, they were in search for that sort of perfect swing. So I, I want to now flip it a little bit, and I want to take it from a, a slightly different approach, a uh, very similar question, but now we're going to talk about, and I'm, Peter, I'm going to start with you. We're going to talk about amateurs because how they perceive a win and a loss is obviously going to be much different than a tour pro because there's a lot of different factors. I want you to kind of unpack a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, from an amateur's perspective, that same question, a win and a loss, how they, uh, what you would want them to take away from that, what you're going to focus on, because it is going to be different than what a tour pro would. That's absolutely the case. I mean, it's, it's very, very different on how each player, especially on the amateur end, um, unpacks, winning or losing or they for the most part on the winning side there's a tendency to dissect it overanalyze it want to you know feel as though even though it was great it could be better um and then there's a tendency overall on the on the losing side to even further dissect it to be completely destructive as to you know where in the process they are uh being competitive or are they in the introductory phase of being competitive have they been doing it for a while what level are they playing are they actually entering an, an event where they have the 
the option to win. They might be testing themselves with an, an event that's, you know, if they've been competing at the club level, maybe they're in an event that's at the regional level or state level. You know, really seeing that benchmarks for success as a coach is the most important thing. If if you do have a player that is of that ability playing in that type of event, that they have the option to win, then as their coach, it's important to set that as a constructive benchmark and a, as an outcome that would be extremely productive. If you're the coach of a player that's competing in an amateur event for the first time, even at the club level, it's my job as their coach to set intermediate benchmarks as to what we're discussing, what part of the process we're in. It might be executing a skill. It might be being, you know, working on being in a certain mindset. It might be making good decisions, making decisions that are in line with the skills that you can execute. It's extremely individual, but the amateur versus professional, the professional tends to have a lot more awareness to go back to what Alicia's talking about, but the I would say 90% of the time there's less awareness on the amateur side as to their capacity to execute a, a choice or to have, I mean, I, I see expectations as being a positive thing because it motivates the player, but you're putting yourself in a situation that, again, to go back to setting benchmarks that are going to be most productive to aid the development process. Right, right. Good, good, uh, good point. Um, Alicia, how about that? I mean, you know, we, we've got a lot of amateurs out there, uh, again, whether it's a club pro or, or, or not a club pro, but, uh, you know, a, a club um, event, uh, or it's some other amateur event that they, they might be uh, playing in, um, you know, there's a lot of factors involved, and, and we want to make sure that, you know, as their uh, coach or, or teach professional, we want to make sure when we're working with them that they're drawing the most out of that experience that's going to help them um, for future uh, opportunities. And, you know, the mental side of the game, as we all know, you know, in this profession takes up the majority uh, of someone's skill level. I mean, you can be, um, we've seen some of the best ball strikers in the world uh, collapse under pressure. So, you know, you can be a fantastic ball striker. Certainly that helps, but if you don't have a good, strong mental game, uh, you know, you're not going to be successful in the golf course. So from an amateur's perspective, I know we all work at various levels uh, in our teaching um, so we do have obviously a lot of amateurs that we're working with. What do you want them to pull away from this experience? What specifically are you looking for when you're talking to your amateur before an event uh, and after event? Hmm. Well, definitely be- before an event. I mean, if I go back to like, let me go back to the, uh, the piece of amateurs in general. You know, I, I talk to my kids and my students all the time about, and I on my, in my facility here, we have a we have graffiti on the walls that are all positive self-talk statements and just statements in general. And the one that they made really, really big is attitude plus effort equals outcome. So I always tell them, look, you have to have your your outcome is going to, you know, it's, it's a formula. So you're going to have your, your expectations. 
you can't have really poor attitude and effort and then expect your outcome to be really good. So, you know, they they'll, they have a tendency to beat themselves up if they don't do what they think they should or they didn't shoot the, you know, score. They emotionalize it. They personalize it. And then they beat themselves up. And I'm like, well, let's do a gut check here and see what your attitude and your effort were. And and if the gut check says, gee, I, my attitude was a four and my effort was a three, but I want a nine outcome, you're not. that's not going to work. That formula doesn't work that way. So, it, you know, right. we do that gut check all the time. And they, if they personalize and emotionalize it, and it's just it's it's unrealistic. So I like the, you know, the benchmark thing was, okay, look, you, you know, if you give me a four or a three, then it's your outcome might be a four or five or something like that. But, you know, one of the things, Dr. Shad, when we were working with Shad Helmstetter, he did the forward in my book, and he said, you know, I would – you have two golfers, you have one that's got, you know, they both got really, really solid swings and they're both very talented and, you know, let's just say there, I mean, there is no perfect swing, but one that you could get close to. He said, I, you know, if one has positive self-talk or good self-talk, just solid, and the other one is doesn't have, the, you know, the self-talk, success, successful self-talk that we want, I'm taking the one with the good self-talk all day long if they're very close in, in talent and ability. Um, only because that one's going to get through the adversity, you know, during a round um, that's going to sustain them and be able to just have that short golf or short memory kind of thing. Um, but the amateurs definitely tend to beat themselves up a lot more, and I see high school kids doing that. They're worried about what their parents are going to think, and, you know, then they say, I just, I'm an idiot, and, you know, just on and on. Right. I, I, you know, you just, you just, it's just endless. I take kids that, that have this, they, I, I have them do an exercise where they have to write down the self-talk statements that they're saying to themselves on the golf course, and, and they, they come back and go, wow, I didn't realize I was that mean to myself. <laughs> you know, it's horrible. But <laughs> amateurs are, right. are way more harder on themselves. But I not to say that all golfers aren't, because golf is just a really challenging game. And I mean, I've had high-level golfers and, you know, friends on the LPGA Tour that, that you know, and I've gone out to the memorial here and seen – you know, Stuart thing standing on the tee box going, dang, this hole gets me every time. <laughs> you know, so yep. it's like right. just my student looked at me and went, wow. So he even says that. And he, that whole, like, that's a, that's a mental toughness thing, isn't it, Coach? I'm like, yep. You know, he's, he just gets in, it's gotten in their head. It's in there. It's just the game is just, it's, there's so many, there's a plethora of ways that the mental part of the game can just ruin everything in a heartbeat. And, you know, it's just, it's really Amazing. I think you're, I, and that's what I try to raise everybody's awareness about. You know, your golf swing. Even if I didn't even touch your golf swing, and because if it's a generally a pretty good swing, if I can just, I had a guy today actually that just came into the lesson and said, you know, I just stop getting in my head so much, and I just stop analyzing everything behind the ball, and I just walked up here and let me show you what I did. And so he goes through this whole thing, and he goes, and my friends even commented. You know, you're not you're standing over the ball so long anymore, Don, and you're swinging a lot better. And you know, and I shot the best round that I've had in my whole life. And so it's like, you, and all I did was just kind of, you know, simplify and give him permission to just kind of take some of that stuff out of his head, you know, really. And I got him to follow through a little bit more, but it really was more of his mind game than it was his mechanical stuff that they think that there's that's wrong with their game. So. Yeah, and and that's a great great point by the way. Thank you, Alicia. You know, it's interesting that you that you mentioned that because um as I'm sure most of you know, on Tuesday mornings, um I co-host with my good friend the LPJ professional Cindy Miller, uh the Women of Golf show. And every Tuesday morning, we uh for the last several years, we've been 
um, interviewing the winners from the Symmetra Tour. And what was really kind of interesting this season particularly, we had a number of uh, young ladies who uh, some won for the first time, some have won multiple times. But what was kind of interesting is there was sort of a resounding um, thought process, if you will, to exactly the point you just made, Alicia, and that was, you know, they kind of got out of their way mentally. Um, what was happening to a lot of them is, you know, they maybe having some physical issues or what have you, and they were really getting down on themselves. So that self-talk was going in a, in a negative way, you know, or the pressure of, of trying to, to make the cut or trying to, uh, you know, win an event in order to get into that, uh, that top level. And what was interesting is every single one of them, particularly the first-time winners, when they remove that element from their uh, circumstances, they went on to win the very next week. And it was just kind of interesting because we had quite a few of the ladies this season that all said the same thing, that, you know, they were just really kind of down on themselves or they put undue pressure on themselves uh, for one reason or another. And they just decided that, hey, I'm just going to go out here. I'm going to have fun, do the best that I can do. And once they did that, that pressure, that monkey, if you will, off their backs sort of hopped off and they went on to win. So it, it just sort of proves that point that sometimes it's what goes on between the ears more so than what's going on with the actual uh, physical part of the game. So uh, great answers, guys. Um, John, I'm going to give you a different question just because I think that we've, uh, we've answered that one. Um, different course con conditions. Um, how does being... Uh, and I'm referring to the golf course, wet or dry, change how we play? Well, that's a that's obviously, um, I think all golfers would prefer to play a, a dry golf course. Um, a, a wet golf course, the golf course just simply plays longer. And I tell, I tell my students uh, all the time, if, if it's been raining, like if you're playing in the rain, you're, you're not going to hit the ball as far. If you're used to hitting the ball, 250 yards you may only hit it 240 yards and hit the exact same shot because you're not going to get the roll um, and there's a lot more humidity in the air so the ball's not going to fly as far um, and it's the same as if you're hitting into the wind you're just not going to hit as far and it doesn't matter whether it's you or Tiger Woods you're going to lose distance if you're playing on a wet golf course where it really affects you uh, besides the mental aspect because most people will not adjust to that so I I try to tell them when they're hitting their shots into the green, if it's wet, you know, you need to add, add 10 yards to the shot. Or if you're, um, if you're hitting uh, on a dry golf course, you can actually take 10 yards or five yards, depending on, you know, how severe it is. Uh, so, so that's the first thing is understanding that it is going to affect your yardage. Where it really is going to affect you, uh, though, and, and most people don't understand this and don't, don't pay attention to this, is in the short game, especially in putting. And, and when the golf course is dry and firm and hard, the average golfer will three, four, and five putt because the, the speeds of the greens, the greens get really dried out, really, and I see this all the time. And if, if students, yeah. um, you know, when, when, it's, when, the, when the greens are soft, the advantage you have is, okay, you may, the, the golf course may play longer, but at least when you hit a putt, you don't have to worry about it. Instead of it running three feet by the hole, it, you know, it, it may, if it's dry, it may run five or six feet by the hole, but if it's wet, you don't really have to worry about the ball getting away from you, like on a downhill putt. 
So, so there are some advantages. Obviously, the green is going to be more receptive. So, in the short game, you could hit a pitch shot, and and the ball is going to hit. You know, if you're and it's not going to really run. But then you have to understand that if you have a lot of green to work with, you may have to change your your club selection. Instead of using your lob wedge or your sand wedge, you may go to a nine iron or a pitching wedge or an eight iron, depending on the situation. So, I try to I try to educate all of my students. On, on that. And, and one thing I did want to mention, because in that last, I really like that last question, two advices, two things that I wrote down, and, and, and I would really suggest to all amateurs who are playing in tournaments, number one is know your handicap and play to your par. So if you're an 18 handicapper, when you get up on the first hole, that's not a par four, that's a par five. So think of, think of your handicap as playing to your par. And it's also important that when you play in those tournaments that you never give up because a lot of times when you play in those amateur tournaments, there's, um, there are a lot of them are team events, you know, uh, alternate shots, uh, best ball, those types of formats. And so it's important for students to also understand that uh, there's a lot of choking that goes on, unfortunately. And uh, so, <laughs> so never give up, you know, stay in there. Don't, don't ever think that you're out of the hole because I've seen many times where, you know, a six will be to seven every time if you're playing a head-to-head match. So those are some some points I wanted to mention from the last question. Not a problem. Thank you for that. And, and you're exactly right, John. You know, uh, I think that a lot of people go out to the golf course and they just assume that it plays the same every day. And a lot of factors, obviously, you know, they're more uh, understanding when it's a little breezier or windier out there. They understand that to play for the wind, but you know, you raise some great points because there's a lot of folks out there that get out there and, you know, maybe there's been a little bit of wind or a little bit of rain, excuse me, and the course is now wet. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, soaking wet, but it's wet enough. That is going to affect um, the distance and also, you know, your short game particularly, your approach shots. I mean, you know, a lot of people in in drier conditions might think, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it a little bit short because the pin is uh you know a little further back and i'm gonna let it sort of roll to the to the pan a bit and uh end up it just you know plunk or or what have you right there when it hits the green and doesn't go anywhere so it just sort of you know checks up if you will um so there's a lot of factors to to uh to consider and i think it's important for people um i always try to suggest to my students um certainly not in severe weather but when it's a little bit drizzly or something certainly no threat of lightning or whatnot is to go out to the practice tee and and most of them nowadays obviously have some good practice greens to hit to in that um but just get out there and work a little bit on your game when the conditions are not perfect because that way it gives you an idea um when you get out there on the golf course in real life situation when the rain picks up or or the wind picks up or what have you you're going to know how to handle yourself. And the same, obviously, in dry conditions. The greens are going to be a little slicker and, and so forth, as you suggest, John. So uh, those are things I, I like to try to get people to do is to practice in a variety of different situations, not just lies, but even weather conditions, you know, windier, rainy, uh, real dry, what have you, just so that they get a, a better feel uh, for some of the different variances. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, Peter, I'm going to come to you next. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about some cause and effects, if you will, of, of some different situations and just kind of get your take on um, what are some of the things that can happen as a result of or uh, what we can do to improve. Uh, we're going to start with the grip. Uh, obviously, we see with a lot of our amateurs, especially our first-time uh, golfers coming out, uh, have 
in many cases a poor grip. Um, I know there's a lot of variables uh, and obviously each player is different. Um, but ultimately, that's the part of the body. The hands are what connects to the golf club. And uh, if we're not uh, gripping the, the club properly, uh, it's going to make uh, sometimes for some uh, funky things happening. So talk a little bit about the grip, why it's important, and uh, what are some things that, that you see often with people that have poor grips, in your, in your um, estimation, if you will, uh, what are some of the things that happen and what you try to do to help overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. You know, especially in the beginning, if you're working with a, a, a beginner golfer, it's the best time to install just a, a great grip. Um, but if you're working with a player that's been, you know, is playing for a while, it's it's often a, a hard thing for them to change, but it's often uh, very necessary. But I'm looking for, you know, your top hand, the you know, the, the grip with a full swing, the grip is in your fingers. Um, and primarily concerned as to where you're gripping it, you know, up and down on the handle. And also, you know, third and most importantly, are you able, to, is it repeatable? Is it something that's repeatable for you? And it's, that's really the most important thing is that it's, it's something that is, is providing more control, is repeatable, and is allowing you to connect to the club well. And what are some things, Peter, that uh, just so that people understand um, that obviously we want them to uh, work with their professional in, in situations like this, but um, when they start seeing things happening out in the golf course that typically are associated, obviously there are, I know there are a lot of factors, um, but that are associated with a poor grip. What are some signs uh, typically that you've uh, experienced with some of your students when you know they've got a poor grip that letting them know that information up front then when they come back and they say okay let's let's work on the grip or let's check the grip because this has been happening out in the golf course yeah it's absolutely important that they understand why um certain things are happening um some of the more common things i've seen from every level of player is you know um, quality of contact goes way down they're making they're making more, like poor contact on a more regular basis um, or if they are making good contact, they're having a harder time controlling the direction of the, the ball flight because they can't control the club face. Um, yeah, those are the two most most common reasons, you know, or effects that a poor grip is going to have on, or a grip that just doesn't happen. If they do have a a good grip that that we are working on, it's not happening often enough. So it's something that it's. Again, to go exactly back to the entire purpose of me spending time with players in general is to help them understand why. Yeah, and and you know you really hit it on the head as you you want to create something that's repeatable um, that they're doing consistently. That, this is one thing I think that we all have. I'm sure all of us experience with with many of our amateurs is uh, the inconsistency with their grip. One. You know, one day it's a it's a little bit strong, and the next day it's a little bit weak, and sometimes even shot to shot, they're they're, you know, fiddling around with it so much um, that they don't know really what feels good, and you know, it, this this can sometimes create problems. So, you know, you've got to really, as you said, Peter, you got to really install this right from the get go when you're working with especially new golfers, and sometimes even with some of our uh, 
you know, older golfers that have been playing for a little while certainly don't want to necessarily reinvent the wheel, but we want to certainly help them make adjustments where needed uh, to be able to uh, be more effective. Um, Alicia, I want to talk about another area, and obviously um, this is a, a common one. Uh, I think probably uh, for a lot of amateurs, and that is sort of spinning out on the follow-through. We see this quite often in the golf course. Um, sometimes it's, you know, they want to grip it and rip it, and instead of a nice uh, balance, if you will, uh, they're sort of spinning out uh, and falling back on their on their uh, trail. For, for right-handed golfers, uh, they're falling back onto the right side. Uh, what are some of the causes of that, uh, and what do you try to, to do to help them overcome that? Uh, well, I think, I mean, clearly I think some of the causes are just they're, they're, they're in my terms, they're more of a hitter versus a swinger, like swinging through the ball, right. you know, kind of – they don't have that follow through kind of mentality. And I, I do hear a lot of people tell me like on occasion, not, not on occasion. I hear a lot of people say, well, why is the follow through so important? Because the golf ball's already gone. And it's like, you know, there's so many answers to that in my <laughs> opinion, but <laughs> I always like to, you know, I, I mean, I stop and I explain some of them to them because I really, you know, it's not like, Hey, you do this because I'm the golf pro. And I, you know, this, this, I, I think the whys are so important, but when you explain to them why, like like getting to in balance. I I did a you know a, a presentation one time about balance and, and it's just in balance is one of my chapter titles actually too. So being in balance is really really important and and they just have to kind of feel that you know the golf swing is a a movement to the right and then you shift back and you're kind of centered for a second and then you move to the left and if you only have if you don't have that movement with the big muscle activity going to your follow throughs you know there's just a lot of things that can make the golf swing feel a lot more a lot more effort and they just it's a lot of work and they when i when i get them following through a little bit more then that's you know then they're more swinging versus hitting to to go back to what i started with so i there's you know i there's a lot of other things relative to just wanting to try to chop at the ball or hit it and you know i've had people swing with their eyes closed and they hit it and surprise them and they actually have a little bit more of a follow through when they do that because they're not so caught up in the ball itself you know they're they're not so focused on it you know to be like stopping all the the motion and the movement and uh yeah so it's i i love that balance part of it and the the sequential part of it and and just kind of explaining to them that that's really crucial for the swinging motion instead of just kind of focusing only on one side swinging back and then stopping at the ball and then keeping your weight back yeah. and things like that yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of people I think are under the misnomer too that, you know, many of our amateurs think that well, you know, you're you're swinging too hard. But I've seen people that, um, you know, swing relatively slowly and still have that issue. So it's not always that they're, you know, they're trying to swing for the hills. Um, a, a lot of times it's you can trace it back to improper setup. They're not set up to the ball correctly. I mean, we see this all the time, especially, um, you know, I've seen this many many times with some of our senior golfers. You know, they especially with their tee shot, they get, I mean, too far behind that, and they're almost, you know, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa uh, behind yeah. the golf ball. And yeah, it's just and almost impossible that, yeah. for them to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought you were done. But I, the other thing, too, is that they, they, they probably don't understand um, 
the kinetic energy that you want to develop from the ground up with their legs. They're, you know, they don't, they might not have been told that or they may have told them, heard about it or something, but they just don't know how to execute it. They don't know how to do it. They just more do more arm swing and upper body movement than just, than both arm swing and lower body, you know, com- the combination of them. So. Yeah, and a lot of it is the, it's the, they're out of sequence. You know, this is, mm-hmm. as you pointed out, you know, not understanding the, the sequence of the golf swing and they, they try to overpower, especially, you know, I see this a lot with the men, obviously they try to overpower it because I think that's going to give them distance. And usually it ends up having the opposite effect. Uh, or when yeah. they do get distance, it's usually, you know, 30 or 40 yards to the right, which doesn't do them any good. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of factors. And I know you can't diagnose the whole thing uh, here on the show, but I want people to understand a little bit that, you know, if they're having some of these experiences out in the golf course, that these are things that they need to, to really pay attention on. And this is why we want you to go to your, your local uh, golf pro and, and really work with them so that you have a better understanding of why some of these things are happening and mm-hmm. get them to help you with some sort of a program to work through some of these issues if you're having these issues. Because it can be a frustrating game uh, if if you're trying to sometimes just you know do it on a whim and not really getting the, the proper information. So uh, we want you to, to work with your pro. Mm-hmm. Um, John, I got a question for you. It's actually sort of a, a two-part. Um, this is a common one as well, and I know there's a lot of factors, but maybe you can just give us uh, some of the the, the highlights, if you will. Uh, a lot of people top their, their golf shots, uh, meaning they're topping the ball where it just sort of rolls end over end. They're maybe on a tee shot and also a lot of golfers hitting fat shots. Talk about the top shots first, uh, some of the causes and effects of that, and then follow up with the uh, fat shots. Well, it's interesting because you're, you're talking about two, two shots one that's mm-hmm. where the ball is, where the club literally never touches the ground and the ball just kind of rolls along the ground. And then you're talking about a shot where the fat shot where you hit the ground before you hit the ball. And the ball may go in the air, but you don't, it doesn't go anywhere. You lose a lot of distance. Neither one of them feel good. Neither one of them uh, <laughs> will lead to very good shots on the golf course. And But both of them are essentially – the same problem and that is uh, a lack of weight shift and rotation into the golf ball now this can be many there are many reasons why this could be happening one could be the ball position in other words if if i play the ball if i'm a right-handed player the the forward uh forward in my stance will be more toward my left heel back in my stance will be toward my right foot well if i'm playing the ball too far back in my stance i can't shift and you will swing where the golf ball is. So many times when people hit the ball fat, um, they move the ball back in their stance, and that's like a little Band-Aid. And then, but then they hit it even fatter like the next week. And so then they keep moving it back, and before long they've got it too far back in their stance. Uh, the other reason is that going back to what Peter was talking about could be the grip. If you have a weak grip, uh, you're going to tend to have an open club face, which means you're going to have to use a lot of hands to square up the club face. And when you use your hands, you stop using your body, which takes away from your weight shift. And so anytime someone hits the ball fat and they say, you know, I hit a lot of fat shots, one of the first things I look at is either their grip or are they opening the club face on the takeaway, maybe opening it, rolling it open, uh, or opening it up somehow in their swing. It could be their distance from the ball as well. But those are typically the things I look for. But 
it's very important to understand that if you have a problem in your golf swing because you're playing on a golf course that's not level, it's not like the driving range where everything's nice and level or hitting off a mat. You're on all these uneven lies, and if you don't have, if you have a flaw in your golf swing, with one club it can produce a fat shot, uh, like with your pitching wedge, and with your driver it can produce a top shot. And and the student may think, oh, I'm so inconsistent. No, you're consistent. You're consistently doing the wrong thing every time. So it's important to understand that if you can fix that one thing, and this is where you need to go to your pro because without me being able to see it, I can't diagnose it. Go to your pro. Once they fix that, work on that, and you'll start seeing that you'll be consistent in all parts of your game because that's what everyone wants to be is more consistent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, well said, uh, guys. All right, my final question is for all three of you. Uh, it's, it's really kind of a personal question, if you will. Um, I want you to go back and through the season and uh, I'm going to start with, if you don't mind, Peter, I'm going to start with you. And I want you to just to sort of um, dissect, if you will, uh, for lack of better words, um, throughout the season, what you found to be most effective for you as a teaching professional um, while working with your students. What, what uh, was there uh, a combination of things uh, this season? Obviously, you know, we all have, successes and, and things that, that always don't go our way. But um, overall, I think we, we do a good job. Were there, was there anything that stands out from the season that you can think of um, that really sort of made this uh, a, a great season for you and, and looking forward, obviously, to 2020? Yeah, I, I found that in 2019, uh, having the ability to listen more, um, and provide the player with more choice as to how they're executing skill. And going back to the main tenant of what does this player need to do to make better contact, and then providing task-based guided choice, and allow that being the, to allow that being the starting point, and having a conversation based off that. It, it was something that I this past winter in 2018-19 executed my own case study that proved that to be a real thing is that there was the ability to have task-based discovery um, that I called self-discovery um, and I've just been implementing that all year and it's been ex exceptionally successful in the sense that the choices that the player are making albeit guided are providing them ownership over their chosen movements mm -hmm. almost immediately right. because they're allowed the freedom to do so. Then you know, as the observer and the coach, I'm looking, I'm observing as to what's you know most practically happening when, when you're executing well, or you have the most control over the particular skill that you're looking to execute and providing feedback and if we need to leverage some some feedback device, then we include that. But it was more of as their coach providing the task that was necessary to provide them the option of making a choice to execute whatever skill we might be discussing and then providing the most constructive feedback possible to help them give an awareness as to why 
and then provide them a way to develop that. Yeah, I like that. Great answer. Um, you know, too often, and we've, we've talked about this on the show, that, you know, uh, for a long time in, in our industry, you know, we kind of, you know, put everybody in the same box. And I think as, as golf instruction has evolved over the last, um, particularly the last decade or so, we're starting to see the, the differences um, that not everybody um, plays the same, not everybody hits the same. And, uh, you know, we've got to be able to, to understand that. And so you can't always adopt necessarily. Uh, certainly you can have uh, an overall theory or, or understanding, if you will, but I think you have to treat them as an individual because, uh, again, there's so many different. I mean, we go back in, in history and look at some of the best players um, that play this game. And, yes, there were certain key factors within their game that were very consistent with one another. But if we take a player like Lee Trevino and compare it to, uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Nick Faldo, to look at them swing at the, at the golf ball is, uh, you know, like night and day. But yet they were both very, very successful. So uh, I think that's a, a great answer, Peter. And I, I like that the fact that that's something that you're adopting uh, in your teaching. Alicia, what about you? Um, going back through the season, uh, was there anything that stood, stood out to you for, as an overall uh, approach, if you will, or something that really helped you to sort of gel everything together? Yeah, the one thing that came to mind right away when you asked the question um, is I, I think it's really fun to equip my students with the knowledge of different aspects of the game, but, you know, for sure how, like, that, like almost going back to the cause and effect thing of the the mental toughness or the mental aspect of the game relative to okay how does it add ten shots onto my eighteen hole score or whatever but it's that and then that leads to awareness but the one thing that I I do like and I did it really helped was the awareness and helping these kids mostly most of my students are are um, that I work with uh, the vast majority of the time are are the kids in, that want to compete and anywhere from junior high to, you know, middle school, junior high and high school, but helping them and equipping them with the knowledge of the numbers of golf, just the, just the statistics itself, tracking that, like, well, do you know how many putts you have per round? And if they want to play in competition and they're like, no, I don't know. Or do you know how many, do you know what greens and regulation is? And no, I don't even know what that is. And so you, that part of tracking the information, but then I, I got, I, I got a, a thing that I, Put together because I want to try to keep it make make it fun for everybody to learn and I just called it the dial it up wedge system so they it's a controlled wedge you know trying to hit like a you know your hands go to ten o'clock and two o'clock kind of thing and just being able to cr- control the club face a little bit better and understanding that I want you to try to get on the green faster and that plus the statistics of you know just the awareness of the short game and that you know sixty plus percent is of your score is short game and they when you when you can really if they keep the data and they give it back to you and they give you that feedback and then you sit down and you go through it with them they have that that kind of epiphany of wow I never I never knew this like they just realized they knew they didn't know you know I knew gosh I didn't realize it was that much they heard numbers but they didn't realize so it's kind of fun to be able to to just go through that with these kids um and that's I do that every year but you know, sometimes there's more than others in a year, and it was all of them learned the dial-it-up wedge system, and we worked really hard on that. From every year, we have kind of 
theme in our year that we're going to tackle something and it was going to be, you know, win with wedges kind of thing this year. So that was, that was very fun and helpful for those kids to, to, to learn more about the short game and how important it is. Very good. I like that uh, great answer as well. And I think it always uh, benefits our, our students when we, uh, we help them, especially with the short game. I mean, so many, uh, you know, uh, amateur golfers, particularly out there, uh, really neglect the short game um, in, in many cases, and, and uh, they struggle with, with their game. And, and uh, obviously we want to not only grow the game and getting new golfers in, but we want the, the, the golfers that are already there to, to want to be able to stay in, and, and they're not going to do that if they're not having fun and, and seeing results. So I think focusing on those areas is great. Uh, great answers, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, John, what about, John, what about you? Um, what, uh, what stood out for you uh, this year particularly? Um, that really sort of, again, helped uh, gel everything together? Well, this year I had a, the opportunity to uh, work with the local boys' uh, high school, JV and high school golf team. And um, there was only a few of the kids that I'd actually worked with, the majority of the kids I'd never worked with. And it, we, ended up, we had a great turnout, went and spoke to the parents. We had, a, I, I think it was around 17 kids with both teams that came, and we had to break it up into different sessions because we couldn't handle everybody at once and so what was really fun about it is the very first session um, all I did was measured their skill but we we had them do uh, some we had them hit a hundred three foot putts on an indoor putting uh, green we had them do some wedges uh, how far they were from the hole Uh, we had them hit with the launch monitor and look at their club head speed and their ball speed and all the numbers so I took down all their data Uh, we got down all that information and then we worked with them through the entire spring. And then in the very last session, we repeated that. So we had a day of testing the first day and a day of testing the last day. And I really enjoyed that. It really uh, was fun to see. I mean, because I could just sit there and say, here was your club head speed when we started, and here's your club head speed now. It's incru- improved. And there was, uh, there was some kids that kind of – Maybe were maybe it played and and you didn't see huge jumps, but for those kids that really made those big jumps, to see the smiles on their face, it was worth it, and and it was a lot of fun for me, and uh, it kind of brought back memories of playing high school golf and and the camaraderie and all that. So that really stood out to me this year. Very good, a great answer as well. You know, I think any time, uh, <clears throat> you know, again, obviously, uh, there's going to be some players depending on their level you know, you're going to see um, maybe modest improvement, if they're, especially if they're a low handicap player, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, I guess, things that we see or the changes that we see sometimes could be more subtle uh, than if we're working with, a, say, a 25-plus handicap uh, golfer. Obviously, the, the, the hurdles are, are, are great, but um, once they get over those hurdles, uh, it's very rewarding for them. And I think overall, you know, as, as all of you have pointed out, uh, and Peter, I think really you, you said it best, is, you know, we really, as instructors, we really have to listen to our students. I think, you know, again, trying to uh, mold them in one way or the other, uh, you know, might have worked at one time uh, earlier on. But um, now that more and more people are, and, and different people are, are getting involved in golf, uh, we really have to, to listen to the students and, and really get an understanding of, of what they're looking for. And, and, you know, Cindy always talks about in our show is that really the most important question is why are you there in the first place? Why do you want to play golf? Is this for fun? Is it for recreation? 
you know, or are you wanting to be competitive in some way or, you know, play in a team or, or what have you? Um, I think understanding that why um, first and foremost uh, is a good starting point. Guys, as always, you did a fantastic job um, here on Coach's Corner. It's been uh, interesting and fun, and, and I always uh, look forward to having you guys on the show. Uh, it's it's one of my um, great things that happens throughout the years is doing this show, uh, in addition to uh, to teaching, of course. But um, I really enjoy doing this because I always take away something from uh, having you guys on the panel as well. So uh, thank you as always. And very quickly, uh, I'll go through um, John and um, uh, Alicia and Peter, if you want to just let the folks know the best way to reach out to you, how they can contact you if they want to uh, get in touch with you. John, you go first. Okay. Well, Ted, again, thank you for having me on the show. And Alicia and Peter, I enjoyed it. Um, if the student, if the listeners out there want to watch my videos, I am a golfswing.com staff member. You can go to golfswing.com forward slash John Decker. And John Decker, I spell my first name J O N. John Decker is all one word. I have over 300 videos, including my uh, short game uh, system, the Pitch Perfect system, which is 108 videos uh, on the short game on that website. Or you can find me on at John Decker Golf Instruction on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Um, my book is Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. Um, and it is, uh, it's available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon websites. And I do have a, a, a Bible study with the book. And I'm also, uh, if you're looking for public speakers or someone to come and speak to a youth group or a church group or, uh, you know, a golf group or whatever, uh, I, I do that as well, and you can reach out to me on social media if, if you're interested in that. Perfect. Um, Peter? Yeah, again, Ted, thanks for having me on. Always great to be with you. Uh, Alicia, John, thanks for your input. As Ted says, I always learn something when I'm on the, on the show. But if uh, people want to reach out to me, uh, they can visit uh, gonpi.org. Or they can follow me on Instagram primarily. I'm the most active. Uh, my handle is at dailygolf.coach. Mm. Again, thanks Perfect. for having me on, Ted. I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you as always. And uh, Alicia, last but not least. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you, Ted, for uh, hosting this and, and allowing me to be on there again. I know last time I, I had a, a little bit of emergency and had to back out on you, so I appreciate your being patient with me. Um, and then a, thank you, Peter and John, John for your input. I, I, I too, can um, concur that it's fun to get some, you know, learn some new things from other teachers, and that's always a great thing. Uh, you can get a hold of me at my website, which is uh, www.gratitudegolf.com. There is a place there for you to click on and send me a message if you want to connect with me. Uh, my book is The Missing Link, The Powerful Role of Self-Talk in the Mind Game of Golf. It's on available on Amazon, and uh, that would be the two places that I would suggest, um, you know, you can get the book um, on, the, on the website as well, but it's better to go to Amazon, I think, and, and look at it there, and I thank you again. I appreciate it, Alicia. As always, it's a pleasure to have you, and I look forward to the next time as well. Have a great, uh, uh, a great uh, rest of the week and a great weekend, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. All right, that was the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Peter Egerzerian, John Decker, and Alicia Larson. 
And uh, John is actually going to be one of our special guests uh, on the second half, and he's going to be joined by uh, Dr. Angelica Napolitano. As uh, you may recall, last uh, month they came on, and uh, it's going to be part of a series to finish out this uh, season. And uh, they're going to be taking part in a new uh, venture along with me at uh, the iGolf Sports Network, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. Um, but, uh, John, I know you're still with us, and I see that uh, Angelica is uh, on board, but uh, i got to take a, a quick little break. So, John, if you need to uh, take a, a quick break yourself, uh, by all means, go ahead and do that. And uh, we're going to listen to a short clip uh, from GolfSwing.com. Are you finally ready to improve your golf game? GolfSwing.com is changing the way golfers learn online. With the largest collection of golf training programs and drills on the planet, GolfSwing.com can help you improve every part of your game. Whether you want to gain more distance, hit it closer, or just sink more putts, GolfSwing.com staff of world-class coaches can help you gain the results you need. Watch unlimited videos on any device from anywhere in the world and start playing better, scoring lower, having more fun, and saving money. Get your fix on demand at GolfSwing.com. All right, once again, thank you to GolfSwing.com for sponsoring the Coach's Corner uh, segment here, the season on Golf Talk Live. Uh, Really appreciate uh, all of their support. And uh, as mentioned uh, earlier on, if you go to their uh, website, uh, website, excuse me, GolfSwing.com, at the end of the show and enter promo code GolfTalkLive at checkout, you can receive up to 50% uh, off the subscription price. Uh, so by all means, do that at the end of the show. Go to GolfSwing.com, enter promo code GolfTalkLive at checkout uh, to receive 50% off the subscription price. It's well worth it. And as he mentioned, John Decker uh, is uh, one of the uh, golf professionals that you will find on there. And uh, I didn't realize he was already up to 300 videos, but uh, I, I take his word for it. He's a, an honest guy, so I'm sure there are a lot of them. All right, I'm going to introduce uh, both of them again. John's just taking a, a quick little uh, a few second break here, uh, and then he'll be joining uh, Angelica. So I'm going to remind everybody, for those of you maybe tuning in a little bit later on the broadcast, I'm going to remind you a little bit about John, and then I'll introduce uh, Angelica as well. And then uh, when John uh, pops back on, I will bring both of them out here. Uh, John Decker, of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was a PGA instructor uh, with GolfSwing.com, uh, as well as a motivational speaker. Uh, he's the former teacher professional at the New Albany Country Club, uh, he was the 2015 Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, he was the head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, uh, working under top 100 instructors Fred Griffin and, of course, the late Phil Rogers. Uh, he's also, as he mentioned here just a moment ago, uh, he authored a great book called Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, uh, which, of course, has a accompanying Bible study. Uh, also uh, joining tonight as my special guest, is Dr. Angelica Napolitano, uh, a.k.a. the Golf Doc, as she's referred to, and she's the owner of Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness in Jupiter, Florida. And both of these uh, guys are also hosts of their own podcast uh, called Golf Swing RX Podcast, the prescription for your game. And they're going to be joining me here tonight uh, in the second uh, show, if you will, of uh, a series uh, as we get ready to close out uh, another season here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, but they're going to be coming back uh, not only on this show, but uh, they're going to be coming back uh, next season uh, as I launch a new uh, media format called the iGolf Sports Network, which I've kind of talked about a little bit here, uh, not too much. Uh, but basically, it's going to be a live stream media broadcast uh, uh, development, if you will. It's uh, 
getting in the works right now, and it's going to be launched sometime uh, probably uh, late spring of 2020, uh, and it's going to be featuring obviously uh, a lot of different components, and both John and, and Angel are going to be uh, putting together a great uh, platform on that network uh, and you'll be able to see them uh, on the show uh, there as well. So we'll talk about that a little bit, and we've got a few other things to talk about tonight here as well. So let me bring uh, back John Decker and welcome uh, Angelica Napolitano. Hi, guys. Welcome. Hi, hey, how Ted. are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. All right, well, welcome back, John, and uh, welcome, uh, Angelica, to, uh, uh, to Golf Talk Live as my special guest this evening. I guess you could say welcome back too, right? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Welcome back. That's right. Um, as I was mentioning, everybody, uh, you know, both John and Angel uh, were on last month, and we've got a few more shows that they're going to be coming on. And, and a little bit about what we're going to be talking about, or just to give you a little snippet, if you will, of what you're going to see on the iGolf Sports Network. And I'm really, really excited about that. I was telling John a little bit, uh, Angel, before I uh, we went live tonight. Um, Obviously, there are a lot of components to get ready. I've just been ordering a lot of uh, different uh, video and, and whatnot uh, equipment here, and it's all been coming in. It's like an early Christmas here. Um, so I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, got everything uh, ready to go, if you will, and uh, we're going to start putting those uh, components together. But basically, just the, uh, a quick overview for the audience. Uh, the iGolf Sports Network is basically, as I said, a, a media production company uh, and format, uh, if you will, that's going to provide – uh, something a little more than, than what you're hearing tonight. Uh, obviously, uh, the podcasts, uh, Golf Talk Live and the Women of Golf are going to be uh, sort of under that umbrella of the iGolf Sports Network, um, adding some great audio content. But as most of you know, uh, we need the visual component as well, and that's what the purpose of the iGolf Sports Network is going to be. And uh, we're going to be featuring some great shows uh, like John and Angels, and we're working on that sort of behind the scenes right now. And they're going to be uh, working together as a team, if you will, on a, a great new program that we're going to release here very shortly, uh, tell you a little bit more about it. And what we're going to talk about tonight and the weeks to follow as they continue to come back on here uh, in the next few months, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more in depth, but you're actually going to be able to see uh, a little bit more detail on the iGolf Sports Network. So I'm very, very excited about that. Very excited to have both of them uh, take part in that. And obviously excited to have them both back here tonight. And then also uh, after the show, and John, I, I believe uh, he's already got this uh, ready um, on, on social media, and I'm going to uh, sort of forward it out as well, um, a great video that's going to sort of support what he's going to be talking about here tonight. And then Angel is going to also, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be available tonight or not, but uh, is going to have some video to support uh, her part of the discussion tonight as well. So you can actually see what uh, they're talking about here. Um, so, John, I'm going to start with you first. Um, we're going to talk about uh, with you particularly the uh, the backswing, if you will. So we're going to break down the swing a little bit, um, and we're going to talk about the, uh, the backswing. And then obviously Angel, from uh, her perspective of things, uh, is going to talk a little bit about some of the proper sequencing, if you will, uh, and some of the... Uh, components, if you will, that go into a proper assessment to make sure that all things are, are working correctly and efficiently, uh, and also uh, some uh, corrective exercise if there's some issues or impairments, if you will, uh, from uh, discovered through the assessment. So, John, I'm going to start with you first, uh, and then, uh, Angelica, I'm going to bounce it over to you uh, to sort of let you follow up and, and give your perspective of this, 
and uh, and we'll have a great discussion tonight. So thank you again for for joining me. So John, how do we how do we start the backswing? Let's let's get right to uh, the nuts and bolts of it. What's uh, what's the first component of of the backswing? Well, Ted, once again, thank you, and Angel, I look forward to uh, doing the show with you tonight. Um, and for the listeners out there, I would encourage you all to go and listen to our show that we did last month because we talked about the setup. Now we're going to talk about the backswing. And the setup is very important. If you've got that down, then you can start going into the backswing. And you want to start your your golf swing uh, with your back and shoulders. Um, One of the biggest mistakes that I see uh, the average golfer make is when they hold the club, they want to start their golf swing with their hands um, or they'll start their golf swing with their arms. And you have to remember, the club can be as long as 45 inches in length if you're using a driver, and as short as 32 or 33 inches with your putter. And any hand movement is going to twist the face. And when you're trying to make the golf ball go 100, 200, 300 yards, if you're opening or closing the the club face in your takeaway, you're pretty much uh, doomed right from the get-go. The most difficult part of your golf, of the golf swing, I believe, is just the start, getting it started. If you don't start it properly, you don't have time in the golf swing to fix it. So um, it's very important that you, we, I always want my students uh, to use the big muscles. I want them to use their back and shoulders to, to get the swing started. Because if you're using your back and shoulders, then your arms are going to move. And if the arms move, well, then the club's going <clears> to <throat> move. And then when the club moves, you're going to build up momentum. And that momentum is what hinges the wrist. It's called the kinetic chain. And the best players in the world, Jack Nichols did it probably as good as anyone I've ever seen. He moved the club head with his back and shoulders. And that's how he got it started. He had what we call a low and slow takeaway. Got the club moving low to the ground using the big muscles, not using the hands, not using the arms. Uh, but using the big muscles. And this is what the great ball strikers, the power hitters, if you look at at the power hitters, if you look at the long drive guys, we had Eddie, uh, fast Eddie Fernandez on our podcast uh, a couple months ago. You watch him take the club back. He's using those big muscles in his back and shoulders. And and it's so important to do that. And if you can learn to, to get the, the start of your swing right, then you're going to – you give yourself a great chance to set up your transition – to set up your downswing and, and from there, you know, hit a really good shot. But um, quite so often when I'm working with students, they don't have the physical ability maybe to do it. And that's where Angel is going to talk more about maybe some things that would keep you from doing that. Yeah, so Angel, what are some of the physical requirements? I mean, John, you know, sort of laid out the importance of, of using the big muscles really to initiate the swing. So um, this is an area that obviously uh, a lot of folks have problems with. So Let's break that down a little bit um, and talk about it from from your perspective, some of the things that you see and and, uh, what's necessary to to execute what uh, John's just talking about. Yeah, so thanks for having me on again. Hey, boys, how are you doing? Um, So I want to talk about one thing in particular that's very, very important um, going into your takeaway. Um, So it's called disassociation, and I don't want to bore the listeners that, you know, don't, you know, people don't know what disassociation means. It means nothing to them. But it's basically the independent separation from your upper body and trunk spine area to your lower body, your lower uh, spine and your hips and your lower extremities, okay? So during the back swing, 
we want to move, like John said, our arms, right, our shoulder, our back, and our arms first before we even do any type of weight shifting or any type of movement at all. So that requires separation of the upper and lower body. Upper body moves, lower body stays quiet and stable on the ground. So that requires a lot of core stability, a lot of um, strength coming from those areas, but it also takes stability in your scapular area and your scapular muscles, which is the shoulder blade, is the scapula. And then you have to have adequate mobility in the actual shoulder joint, that ball and socket joint. So as you're coming into your backswing, if you can't stay quiet in the lower body, in the lower half of your body, then you're going to tend to um, sway. You're going to sway. You're going to lose posture. You're going to uh, have early extension, reverse spine angle, all of those really, really bad things that we do over time that cause pain, right? So if you're not able to really get that torso rotation into the backswing, then, you, like John said, you're kind of doomed. You're, do, you're doomed, and you're just not going to uh, – I like that word, doomed. It was good. It was, it was dark. Um, and, and, you feel, and you can feel it when you, your body – you might not be aware of what you're doing exactly, but you can feel it and you can sense it. But once you know you're, once you are aware of how the body moves and how it should move, that is key. So it's not a weight shift. It starts with the back and the shoulders, and then your body just moves along with it. So your body doesn't need to do all this work, um, essentially. You just really need to have that good turn, that good mobility in the spine, that good stability in the shoulder blade, and then, again, mobility in the shoulder joint. Right. Well said. Um, and, and also, too, uh, you know, and, and we're going to talk about that, I know, in, in uh, the, the next part uh, when we come back to you, but, you know, understanding uh, the limitations and, and understanding um, what needs to take place in order to get the, the optimal efficiency in, in our golf swing. Um, but another component, John, from, from a coach's perspective is we want to be able to see and watch um, – the timing, you know, one of the things that we see on the golf course with a lot of our amateur golfers is they want to sort of snatch that club away uh, in the backswing, and uh, a lot of times it throws that timing out. So is, is timing important, first and foremost, uh, in the backswing? And if so, what, what role does it play? I think timing is important in a lot of things uh, uh, in life and, and, and obviously in golf. Um, you know, I had the privilege of working down at Grand Cypress and, and working and, and studying biomechanics through Dr. Ralph Mann and Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers. And, and they went and filmed uh, the top 50 at the time uh, in the, in the mid-80s, the top uh, 54 tour players, one of them being Jack Nicklaus. They filmed Greg Norman, Tom Kite, all the great players of that time. And they took all their swings and basically looked at the time of their swings. And if you were to – take the slowest and the fastest and kind of take the median of that, uh, it was, it comes out to one second. So, so for the listeners out there, you basically have one second, a tour player goes back into the ball in one second. Now, one of the things that I would do at a golf school is I would have the opportunity to teach a lot of people at a time. And I started noticing trends. I, I could put them in really two categories. Very few people that came through the door at our golf school had great timing. They were either too slow or they were too fast. The people who were too slow tended to be thinkers, a lot of doctors, engineers, people who would micromanage their golf swing. They were used to, they were used to processing a lot of information 
and being able to come up with a diagnosis. That's great if you're dealing with a patient. But again, in the golf swing, we have one second. So you're not going to do that. You're not going to process all that medical information in one second. Uh, you can't expect to do it in a golf swing. On the other hand, I would get guys who are maybe day traders or guys from, from New York City had come down and they were talking a mile a minute and their golf swing was a blur. I mean, as soon as the club went back, it was back into the ball. I actually would film their swing and they could go back into the ball while Jack Nicholas was still going back in his backswing. And I said, you're, you're swinging way too quick. So, so I would see these extremes. Now, occasionally I would get someone who, who had never played golf before who had really good timing. Um, and, and so, you know, that was the anomaly. The main thing that I would want to try to do is get all of our students on the same page. So we would actually use a metronome. So you can actually download a metronome on your phone, and you can set it to one second, and it just gives you a constant beat. And, and what we would do with our students is we would go, ready, one, two, swing, swing. And you go back into the ball in one second. So a tour player, if you look at them in their backswing, when they take the club back, if they're hitting, if, or excuse me, when they're hitting the ball, if they're hitting the ball and their club head is moving at 100 miles an hour, which is what they would be doing with one of their irons or uh, like a five iron or four iron, uh, you know, the tour players with their driver, they might be swinging 120 miles an hour. So if they're hitting the ball with their club moving at 120 miles an hour, when they're going back, they're going 60 miles an hour. If they're hitting it at 100 right. miles an hour, when they go back, they're going 50 miles an hour. In chipping, if they're hitting it and they're going 25 miles an hour, going back, they're going 12 miles an hour. Putting, if they're going two miles an hour, when they hit the ball, they're going one mile an hour back. They're going twice as fast on the downswing. That is a pendulum. And every single person that's listening has experienced a pendulum if you've been on a swing set. And you always know you move at the fastest point at the bottom. You slow down on the ends and you move fast at the bottom. So the whole key to golf is getting the bottom of your swing, getting that speed and that energy into the ball at the bottom of the swing. So you can't do that in that one second if you go back too fast or too slow. So that's the whole key. You get the metronome, start out with putting, do the one, two, swing, swing and learn to do that and that's back into the ball that does not count the follow through the follow through does not count in that in that part so it's important you know when I assess a student I, I ask them questions you know what do you do for a living I, I look at their mannerisms you know um, I, I, I watch them you know do they make practice swings uh, are their practice swings fast slow do they make them at all things like that I try to gather as much information as I can and then I tried to say, okay, this guy's on the fast side or this guy's on the slow side, and I just want him to be somewhere in between. So I try to say, here's the metronome, here's the middle ground. We're going to try to work you t toward the middle ground. When I first learned it, I'm from the, from the south, I, I, so I, I talk slow and uh, I count slow. So when I learned this, I tried it without a metronome, and I started realizing it wasn't right. Well, the reason was I was counting too slow, so I had to learn to count to a metronome and have that beat. And it's the same thing musicians do. They have a, they have a beat when they're, when they're playing their instrument and you get that rhythm down. And if you can learn to, to apply rhythm and timing to your golf swing, you will improve even if you're a beginner. It's, I've seen it with beginners learning to, to get your rhythm and timing down, not overthinking or not underthinking and being too quick, 
but learning to play with rhythm is very, very important in timing uh, in, in your golf swing. Right. Well said, John. And, you know, we've seen, uh, again, so many examples over the years of, of some great golfers with different rhythms. Um, and, you know, uh, Ernie Els and Freddie Couples come to mind a little bit, uh, a slower rhythm, if you will, uh, compared to somebody like a Nick Price, uh, who had a much quicker swing. And, uh, you know, I think that when people want to emulate somebody, um, you know, you need to kind of understand your own speed and not try to copy that just because that person swings slow and easy doesn't mean that's going to fit your natural body rhythm. So yeah, it's important to, to do that. Great, uh, great discussion. Um, Angelica, I want to come back to you because uh, I know that, uh, as I mentioned briefly a moment ago, um, that part of understanding uh, the sequence of the body is a physical assessment, understanding how the upper body and sw uh, spine work together efficiently in order to accomplish what we're talking about here tonight. So just talk a little bit about that and, and what you're looking for in the assessments uh, and, and how important the, the connection between the two is. Okay, so there is a, a self-assessment that you can do. Um, I do it on most of my patients, and it's called the torso rotation test. Again, backswing, we're moving our, our back and our, our shoulders first, okay? So it's very different from the downswing. So torso rotation is going to test your ability, again, for that independent separation. So if you're going to do this test at home, you want someone to be with you, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, but basically, you're going to get in your uh, setup posture. You're going to cross your arms over your chest, and you are going to do this. You're going to go into your backswing. So what you're looking to see um, when you do that, you're getting that shoulder turn, right? You just don't have the club or anything in your hand. You just cross the chest one arm, you know, opposite shoulders um, where you place your, your hand placement. You go ahead and you do that rotation. Now, if your lower body is moving, then that's a problem. We've identified that there's an issue with either your mobility or your stability in your thoracic spine, in your shoulder, and then the stability in the, again, shoulder blade. So this is why you need someone to be with you. You ask that person while you're doing the test, to place their hands around their hips to kind of stabilize you down, to hold you, and then you repeat the test. Now, if you go ahead and do that and your movement quality gets better and your lower body's not moving, that's a stability problem. So that means we're not stable somewhere along the line in one of those three areas, um, and then also in our core. And if you are still doing that movement and you can't quiet down the lower body and not move it, when someone stabilizes you at the hips, then it's a mobility problem, most likely. It could also be a motor control or coordination issue, and that's for another time. But the two things we need to focus on with this test is mobility and stability. So that person is lacking uh, mobility, whereas when you uh, stabilize the hips and you're able to do the movement quality much better than its stability. So you really need to identify whether it's either or, because that's how you're going to correct um, that impairment and dysfunction to better your takeaway. Well said. And, and uh, Angel, let me ask you uh, a, sort of a follow-up question on that. And I know the answer to this, but uh, I, I think coming from you, uh, we'll, we'll give it a little bit more oomph. But is it a good idea, do you think, um, for golfers, especially new golfers that um, wanting to learn the game, that they go through some kind of a physical assessment like this and, and sort of ascertain 
their mobility before they go and, and spend money on lessons and things like that. Obviously, they need to learn the game, but if there's mobility issues right from the get-go, um, obviously, you know, John is is a little bit more skilled than than, uh, than maybe somebody else. But um, and obviously, working with you, he, he gets a, a better understanding. But you know, if there's mobility issues, um, a lot of times the golf instruction is not necessarily going to be the best because they're making a lot of times adjustments or corrections um, and not really dealing with the core issues. So would you recommend, uh, particularly for new golfers, but really any golfers, that they go and have a physical assessment? And if so, should it be something that's done annually? Yeah, it should actually be done more than annually because our bodies are always changing, you know, depending on how we're holding ourselves with our posture throughout the day certain things, um, how we move, our movement quality. So it's always going to change. And when you try to perfect something and, and work at it, again, it's going to change. So there's always that need for reassessment to identify any um, problem areas uh, further down the line. But, yes, I definitely think that, and I don't think, I know that any golfer, beginner, you know, intermediate and advanced, they need to be coming in for those routine assessments because if not, they will get injured. I say this a lot. It's not if it's when it's not if you get injured it's when you right. get injured and i don't mean an injury where you're gonna you know tear your rotator cuff all of a sudden and even so that is because of a gradual um progressive uh repetitive stress to that joint in that area of the body so that is a chronic prolonged thing that causes that one tear you know that quick any motion you know people say oh you know just for example I just stood up or I just bent down and my back went out. Okay, well, that's not – you just didn't go out. You built that up over time to make it get to that point and have that um, problem occur, right, that dysfunction. So, yes, absolutely, right. because when, most people are sitting all day long. Um, most people don't, you know, take time to do some self-love and do some stretching and some, you know, myofascial release through foam rolling and all these things. I mean – that's why the patients come to me, you know, because they're either injured or, or have pain or want to prevent injury, and they know something's wrong, something doesn't feel right. And, I mean, I see it with the best of the best. They have something that I could find and identify to make their game. Number one, your game's going to be better, so who doesn't want that? And number two, you're going to be protecting your body. We have to live in this body forever. And I've seen too many times people let it go too long and then – they're screwed. They're doomed <laughs> because it takes yeah. so much longer <laughs> to get to where they want to be to even get back on the course. So, yes, you definitely, definitely want to um, have somebody, a professional, assess you, somebody who's PPI certified or knows the game of golf because you want it to be specific to your sport always because they're going to identify and test you with certain movements that correlate to that sport. So that's super important. If I have a soccer player and I'm doing a golf assessment, I mean, of course, it's a functional movement, but does it really, you know, kind of have anything to do with the game of soccer? You know, that's why you have to, you have to have an expert. And that's, so TPI is really important. You can find one in your area. If you go to this website, um, they're great and they'll know exactly how to take you through it. But yes, definitely amateurs, especially because, you know, they're the ones that are just, so they're just rapid fire, and they don't think about it. Um, and, and a lot of times their coaches aren't really telling them that they need to see somebody because they think that they can just teach them, like you were saying, a workaround, a cheat. Uh, 
and it's not that easy. Physical ability is a skill. A workaround, a cheat is a technique. So skill versus technique is very, very important. And if you don't have that skill to execute uh, a certain movement, you're going to hurt yourself. Right. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, and you're exactly right, Angel. I mean, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, they'll they'll come to me and and uh, they've got a corporate event coming up and they want to, you know, sort of a quick Band-Aid, if you will. And, well, I, you know, I'm having areas here or difficulty there. And a lot of times it's not actually their golf uh, swing or how they're holding their club. A lot of times it could be um, a, f- a physical restriction, maybe uh, issues with their core or what have you. And, uh, you know, I always try to uh, direct them to, uh, to somebody here that, uh, you know, that, that specializes like you do uh, in that sort of thing. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, John, obviously there are uh, things, uh, components to the backswing that are important uh, and to ingrain some of that um, knowledge, if you will. Uh, you've got some great drills. And I know, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, uh, you've posted up a video on your page, and I'm going to repost uh, a number of times uh, throughout my social media so that everybody can see exactly what you're talking about. But just give us a little bit of an overview of some of the drills uh, that can help the folks with their backswing. Well, I'm a big believer in drills. Uh, um, pretty much every lesson um, I teach, I'm, I'm given at least one drill. I look at that as kind of your medicine, uh, your homework to, to work on each each day. And one of my favorite drills is, is uh, this, you know, we talked about the start of the swing and getting the club started properly, um, is to put, um, you can use a medicine ball, you can use a soccer ball, basketball. Uh, I've used a board, uh, like a two-by-four, maybe a three-foot-long two-by-four, um, and you put it behind the, the club so you're addressing the ball. You put the, like, directly behind the, 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 the club. And then the drill that I that I gave that will be up on your Facebook page, uh, Ted. Uh, there's a two-pound medicine ball, and you, you, what you're going to do is basically roll the ball back along the ground. So that goes back to taking kind of the low slope where the club is kind of slowly uh, going back off the ball. Um, but you're using your back and shoulders, and and what really helps is having some resistance. Anytime you can add resistance, this is why the weighted, like the orange whip and all these weighted clubs and all the things that you see in the stores are doing so well is because when you add the weight, it forces you to use the bigger muscles. And so when you use the bigger muscles, uh, you're going to be much more consistent. Um, so it, it really takes away a lot of the manipulation um, in, that happens. And, again, I talked about when you're using those hands, that face manipulates uh, and that's where a lot of your curvature, a lot of the curvature that happens on your golf ball happens because of your takeaway. Uh, it's, and then you're, you're, if you have a bad takeaway with the club face, then your swing path is going to change based on the club face angle. So I, that's an, a great one. Another one is uh, to obviously uh, just take the medicine ball and hold it. You don't need a golf club. You can do this at home. And if I'm holding the ball on the side, um, so I'm holding with both hands, um, the base of my body, and I'm forming a triangle, my left arm, my right arm, and the base of my body would be my back and shoulders and my chest. My rib cage, if you want to think of that, or your core is the base. I'm turning the base very much like Angel was talking about. You know, she was talking about crossing your arms 
and, and turning. Well, instead of crossing your arms, you're going to hold the ball out, and you're going to be in a golf setup, and you're going to use your back and shoulders to, to swing it back. I, I, that video is also up on – it's not going to be sent to you, but that's on um, – if you go to my YouTube under John Decker Golf Instruction, that video is on there as well. That will help you if you're – if you feel like your hands are really active in your takeaway, so many of the students out there now can film their swings with their telephone. And if you look and you see your hands really moving a lot in the first uh, eight to 10 inches of your takeaway, those drills are really going to help you. And what you're going to find is you're going to find that you start hitting a lot more solid shots. And I gave this drill to a, to a, uh, to a gentleman uh, years ago down in Florida and he told me, he said, you know, when I, I went to the British Open and I saw Sandy Lyle on the driving range at the British Open, and Sandy Lyle obviously won the Masters, great player, uh, he, he mm-hmm. used that board. He put a board behind, behind the club and pushed the board back for hours hitting golf balls uh, on the driving range. So if, you know, the tour players, uh, you know, have been using it uh, for years, it's a great drill to keep you, uh, to teach you how to start Initiate your golf swing with your back and shoulders and not manipulate the club face. Yeah, and, and it's important to, to do that. You know, Jack Nicholas always talked about really um, if you start the golf swing correctly as you go into the back swing, you're setting yourself up for success. If you're doing something like, as I mentioned earlier, if you're kind of snatching the club away or you're, you know, moving quickly, as you pointed out, uh, too quickly, um, then it, obviously your, your body has to react to that initial movement. So if it's not being done correctly uh, or it's being done in a manner that's not in your normal rhythm, as you pointed out, uh, then you compensate and uh, in order to, to get yourself back on, on track, if you will. And uh, that just creates a lot of issues. So it, it's good. You know, we always talk about practice and that, but you have to practice with a purpose. And I think this is where a lot of our club golfers and our amateur golfers go wrong is they go out there and, you know, they do the old rake and, and hit balls, but they don't really practice with a purpose. And, you know, as you pointed out, uh, great golfer Sandy Lyle, who, of course, won the Masters, uh, you know, set up with one of the drills that you're talking about. And, uh, you know, so this is always amazes me when you get a, a player of his caliber that uses a very simple drill like that, and yet our amateurs uh, for some reason, feel that they're, uh, you know, above that and they don't need to do that. Well, if some of the best players in the world are using some of these very simple drills. There's a reason for it. And obviously we know the success and, and the, uh, the challenges that they've had uh, over their careers. And uh, so if they're using uh, some of these drills that you're talking about here, John, uh, there's a reason for it. And uh, I think that our, our listeners need to do it as well. All right, we're going to wrap up with uh, the final component, if you will, that Angel's going to talk about and that is uh, some of the corrective exercises, if you will, that help complement uh, once the physical assessment's been done and we understand some of the complications that, that may arise from the physical standpoint that could be impeding uh, a good backswing. Uh, you've got some exercises that you're going to talk about, and I know you're going to uh, post those as well uh, at, at some point. Uh, we'll put that out there as well in video form. Uh, but after we've done the assessment and we've come back with sort of our conclusion as to some of the uh, deficiencies, if you will, uh, you've got some good exercise to help uh, put that back in place. Yeah, absolutely. So once you've identified the problem, you correct the problem. And I want to point out, John was saying, you want to use your bigger, bigger muscles first. So I just want you guys to know or the listeners to know that the bigger muscles in the areas we're trying to move do movement and function. 
okay? And then the smaller muscles in that area are the ones that stabilize our joints. So if we're lacking either mobility or stability, the mobility is mainly coming from those bigger, those bigger muscles like your lats. So the lats are, um, they run from our just above the hip and the back and then come all the way up and wrap around into the shoulder. And that's a huge, huge muscle. It's one of the biggest in our body. And if we cannot, if we're lacking mobility there, imagine how short our back, uh, our takeaway is going to be. How, you know, you're going to be flat, uh, shoulder plane, a bunch of swing faults are going to occur. You don't, your but stability. Well, then your joints are going to move through ranges that are uh, less than ideal. And, again, that's not good because then we're going to, you know, have cartilage issues. We're going to have tearing. I mean, these things act combination as well. So that's basically that you aren't getting that rotation um, and slacking that. Um, you, you're not able to stabilize the lower you move to your swing. Want to focus first on your your rotation in your spine, and I'm not talking about spine. We don't need mobility in our entire spine. We need mobility in our thoracic spine, which is just it goes runs from just below the neck to um, about I would say a couple inches below the shoulder blade, a belly button area, if you will, um, and that needs a lot of mobility because we need that rotation in that area. Okay, so the lumbar below that needs to stay stable. So we need to make rotation. So anti-rotation means when I'm rotating my upper body, I'm not rotating my lower. And to do that, you want to have resistance, like John said, coming from the side of your body, you holding on to it, and that resistance is going to want to pull you and turn you the other way but you're training those deep abdominal stabilizers, those oblique muscles to hold that posture, stabilize your spine, and not move. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Yeah. So that's key key because you want to have stability with movement, but your thoracic spine needs mobility, and that's where you want to start first because that's ultimately going to get that golfer to even go into the backswing. So, yeah, they might be moving their lower body, but we can correct that at another time. We really need you to get into the backswing. So there's a ton of videos, and I'll post them, um, that you can do to get that extension, to get that rotation, because a lot of times, we talked about setup last time, golfers are in that C posture where our shoulders are rounded forward, our head is, you know, our, our head is popping out forward because we're weak, and so we don't have that ability to hinge at the hip. And then when we're flexed over like that and hunchback looking, do you think you're going to get a good rotation? No, you're limited. Your rib cage is blocked up. You can't go anywhere. So it's really important to do, like, foam rolling, lay on your back and foam roll. I'll post videos. Um, And then you really want to get the lat muscle. The lats are usually very tight, um, and and especially in men. um, Any overhead activity, you want to make sure that those lats are good. And you also want to make sure they're strong, too. Don't neglect the strength part. Um, and then you want to make sure you're stabilizing, again, those small muscles, those deep core stabilizers, those uh, muscles surrounding the shoulder blade, the rotator cuff, okay? Because 
if you're moving through a range and that's not holding on to the joint correctly, we're going to have some problems. The joint's going to go in directions and ways, things that we don't want to happen. Just imagine hanging by a thread and you're going into the back thing. Does that sound fun? No. <laughs> but people do it. So <laughs> the smaller muscles are to stabilize and the, the bigger ones are to move. So those are where you need uh, mobility and stability. But, again, this is very confusing. It's a lot of information, and it takes somebody that does this for a living every single day and is very well-trained to identify and to correct these things and help you because it's not easy. It's not easy. You feel something's wrong. You feel tight. You feel this. But you don't really know what the plan of action and the call to action is, and you don't know why and where and, and, and when and how, essentially. So, you need that person to literally be your decision maker for your musculoskeletal issues. Um, and then, like I said, you're going to perform better. You're going to not have that achy back pain after a round. It, it just makes sense, and I just want to spread that awareness. Part of the reason we come on the show is to not only help the viewers, but spread awareness that this is, this is something that needs to be done, and people need to understand that there are resources and people who can help this. Because a lot of times the general population doesn't know that, that that golf, you know, rehab and performance is even a thing. It's not, it's not uh, a market that's well-saturated, but it is a thing, and there are people, and you need to find somebody and don't stop until you find the right one. Because if you like to golf, you need to prolong the lifespan by doing this, and you need to prolong – your ability to move and function properly throughout life in general. So, yeah. Well said. And, and just to add to that, you know, we, a lot of times through repetitiveness and sometimes not the right functions or the right movements uh, create issues um, in everyday life. You know, obviously in this uh, technological age, you know, we're all, a lot of times sitting behind a computer, uh, maybe at our desk or what have you, and, uh, you know, we're getting that sort of rounded shoulders or we're not engaging certain muscles or we're using some muscles more than others. And people don't realize how that affects your posture. And obviously, you know, as we talked about uh, the last time you were on the show last month and we talked about the different uh, types of postures that there are, the good and the bad and the ugly, if you will, um, people don't realize that that's going to affect your golf game, you know, more Often not, you know, John, as you know, uh, as an instructor and as I do, that, you know, people come up with all kinds of excuses that they're doing this and they're golf swing and they're doing that. And a lot of times it's not, again, as we pointed out, it's not necessarily that they've got a, a good or a bad grip or uh, that they're necessarily not able to swing. I mean, we all naturally have the ability to swing a golf club. The problem is if there's things that are impeding that natural ability, and that's where somebody like uh, – uh, Angelica comes into place is, is isolating some of those issues and then dealing with them and correcting them so that you can have a more well-rounded, uh, not only golf game, but a better and prolonged life. Um, guys, as always, I want to thank you for, for coming on and really, um, you know, touching on some of these points, uh, you know, about the backswing and, and uh, some of the, uh, the issues that uh, folks might have. And uh, just before we, we, we close off here, I want to give you guys a chance to uh, talk a little bit about uh, your podcast, the Golf Swing RX podcast, the prescription for your game. Um, who's coming up or what have you got coming up here in the next little while that you'd like to share? And uh, and then we'll uh, give you an opportunity as well to let the folks know if they want to reach out to not only hear that podcast, but how they can get in touch with both of you. 
Uh, John, if you want to start off. Sure. I'll, I'm, uh, um, I'll have Angel give all the information or give the information about how to to uh, pull it up and, and listen to it. But we've we've done I think nine episodes now, Angel, and uh, not, I haven't been in all of them, but 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 in the majority of them, we've had some great guests. Uh, we just did completed one with Fred Griffin, who was my uh, director of instruction at Grand Cypress Academy of Golf. He was a finalist. Uh, this year for the uh, uh, 2019 uh, PGA Teacher of the Year, uh, which is a huge honor. He was made it to the final four of that. He's a top 100 teacher, and he did a really fantastic job. We had Eddie Fernandez, who I mentioned earlier, who was a the Master Champion, 2018 Master Champion uh, for the Long Drive Competition. Um, he he did a great job, and 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 uh, but. What I'm really most excited about is you were mentioning about, you know, working with students. So many times I've been in lessons, and I and I I know the technical information to give them. I know that what I'm giving them is correct, but if their body can't do it, um, it's it's really um, it's really frustrating. And so many times I've I've said, you know, it'd be great to have someone who is an expert right here with me. And that was what we really wanted to do with the show, and I'm real excited about this. And I, I feel like that as we work, as Angel and I work more and more together, uh, and and hone our craft and being able to deliver a message to the listeners and to the viewers with the iGolf Sports Network and 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 mm-hmm. partnering up with you, Ted, has been a blessing. Uh, I know for both of us, I feel like the viewers are going to be able to uh, improve their technique, improve their physical abilities. And uh, enjoy their enjoy the game. So I'm really excited about this. And uh, Angel, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So our our podcast can be found on uh, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. What other ones, John? Go ahead, tell me. There's a ton, and you can find our um, entire list of where they can be found, and entire list of all the episodes, which are only nine. We have a lot. Um, we're working on it, though, uh, on OptimalPTandWellness.com. That's my uh, professional website. And, yeah, so the thing that John and I really wanted to bring to the forefront here for people was the golf instruction side, which is the technique, the technical side, and then the physical side, the skill side. And so you guys keep saying, like, your body can do a movement, but is it efficient at the movement? And that's where it's key because efficiency is what's ultimately going to prevent that injury and give you better games. When you're having these dysfunctional movement patterns, that's going to cause problems in the long run. It's not going to be immediate, and that's why people don't see it. And so they don't think to go to anybody to get help. But it's, it's, it's going to be even worse when that happens. I would rather have an acute trauma, which like a sudden onset of something hit me than something over time because then we become chronic and we all know that chronic is not it's not easy to get over it's not easy to recover it takes time and we live in a microwave society we live in that instant gratification so just be aware of that um, and be aware that you need to be reaching out to people and you can go ahead and reach out to John and I we are more than happy to answer your questions or help in any way possible Um, so yeah it's great to have somebody on my team that's an instructor that sees eye to eye with what I'm doing because it's still not really utilized that well yet in the um, instruction and the teaching community. 
they still just do their own thing. They take their students and they don't ever give them this opportunity to see somebody. So John really gets that. John, me and him work closely together and we agree on most everything um, when it comes to the swing and we even learn from each other. He's taught me things that I didn't know and he's perfected things that I was doing wrong because I take lessons and everybody should take lessons, whether you're, you know, a physical therapist who specializes like myself, you still need to take lessons. I'm not a pro and I don't claim to be. Um, I just know the body and I know the, the golf swing. So, yeah, it was, it's been really, really amazing to have John um, on my side with this. And it makes me feel confident in the, in the golf community that it's going to start changing in that respect because they are not experts. John is not an expert of the, the human body. And a lot of them take on that expertise. And that's not, that's not right. I'm not, I don't say, oh, I'm a fitness professional. I'm not a fitness professional. I'm not a golf instructor. I can't teach you. I'm going to send you to a John Doe down the street. And that's what people need to be doing. And that's what people will see and they'll respect that and they'll trust you. We don't all have one answer right. for everything. So that is, it's just been awesome to, to, to have John. He's been great. So nine episodes, our lineup right now, um, we have a couple people in the works, but if you're listening to this, you're um, in the golf community. And if you're in the industry, if you're a player, if you're an instructor, if you're a PT, a chiropractor, a nutritionist, or just an amateur golfer, we would love to hear from you and get you on the show and, and just interview you and get to know you and see what you're all about and, and maybe learn from you as well because we're always learning and we're always, um, you know, just changing things and evolving. So we would really, really like to hear from a listener from this show to come on to our show. I think that would come full circle. It would be really cool. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Angel, for that. And, you know, you're exactly right. You know, we've in, in our industry, you know, what a lot of people don't realize um, is the touring pros have access to a lot of what we've talked about here tonight. They they have all kinds of trainers and they have all kinds of uh, people there, you know, not only advising them on the physical part of their game, um, such as what John does or I do, um, but they also have uh, personal trainers and things like that that can uh, isolate and, and uh, you know, a, a good medical team as well um, when injuries do come up and, and preventative maintenance and so forth. So, you know, what we're trying to do and what you're really trying to do uh, with your show is really make that same uh, information available to the average golfer out there. And that's what we're going to do with the iGolf Sports Network uh, when you guys pair up for that uh, component is we're going to put some of the things um, that really the touring pros have access to, we're going to make it available for the average consumer out there to be able to, to view and watch and learn from. Because, you know, we, we always talk about in this industry about growing the game, and I'm all for growing the game, getting the next generations involved in it, but we've got literally millions of golfers who have been playing golf for years uh, who are still struggling and having difficulties and in many cases start to drop out. And part of the reason they're dropping out is, not that they're not able to learn anything new, but they're having issues like some of the ones we've talked about here tonight, and there isn't somebody there helping them. So that's what we want to do with the programs. Um, so, guys, thank you very much, as always. Uh, I look forward to next month. I'm excited to, to see what you're going to bring to the table next month uh, for the discussion. Um, very, very quickly, guys, uh, Angel, I'll let you go, ladies, first, um, how they can reach out and contact you, and then, John, how they can contact you. 
So I'm on um, YouTube, and I'm going to post the videos that um, are relevant tonight on your page, Ted, on his Facebook page. Um, but you can find me at Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness. Very easy. Um, that's my YouTube channel. And then I have Instagram, and it's at Optimal PT and Wellness. And then, of course, my Facebook page at Optimal Physical Therapy and Wellness. And then Angelica Napolitano is my personal one. Please reach out. Please, you know, if you want to get on, if you want to talk to us, if you are someone that wants help and needs help, don't shy away. We want to help you, and that's what we're here for. So um, we would love to, you know, speak with anybody. And um, I hope you guys enjoy my videos. Perfect. And, John? The, the listeners out there can uh, find me on uh, Facebook uh, under John Decker Golf Instruction, and I spell my first name J-O-N, John Decker Golf Instruction. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Um, and then uh, if, if they're interested in um, having me come and do speaking engagements, I'm a public speaker, um, and I also have my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which is at Barnes and Noble and Amazon websites. Perfect. Well, guys, again, thank you very much. And uh, for the folks listening out there, you've been listening to uh, John Decker, PJ instructor, and Dr. Angelica Napolitano, aka the Golf Doc. Uh, they are the hosts of the Golf Swing RX podcast, the prescription for your game. So check that out. And uh, I will see you guys next month uh, here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for bringing your best. And uh, I look forward to next month's discussion. Thanks. Thank you, Ted. All right. Good night, guys. All right. That was John Decker uh, and Dr. Angelica Napolitano. And again, their uh, podcast is called Golf Swing RX Podcast, the prescription for your game. Uh, if you check out on pretty much anywhere, most uh, podcasts, you can uh, tune in. Uh, they named a few uh, Apple, uh, Stitcher, and, and uh, Spotify and some other ones. Uh, you can uh, visit their uh, uh, respective uh, social media pages as well. And don't forget to go to my uh, Facebook uh, page tonight, uh, my personal page, Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O is the last name. Uh, if you're connected with me there, you can go and see it there. Or you can go to the Golf Talk Live uh, uh, Facebook page as well. And uh, I'm going to spread it there after the show, and uh, you'll be able to see John's video. And if you go to... Uh, uh, Angelica's Optimal Physical Therapy uh, YouTube page. She's going to post her as well as on my page uh, her videos uh, showing some of the corrective exercises that she talked about here in tonight's show. So I want to thank everybody and I want to thank all of the gang on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Peter Egazarian, John Decker, and of course Alicia uh, Larson. Uh, thanks for bringing your best and doing a great job as always. And I look forward to next week's panel and uh, another great guest here on Golf Talk Live. Don't forget to join me and Cindy Miller on uh, Tuesday morning show here in the blogtalkradio.com network, Women of Golf Show. We'll have uh, a couple of more great guests uh, coming up next week. Uh, and then Thursday, uh, we'll be right back here on Golf Talk Live. So God bless everybody. Have a great weekend. And I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live if you can't join us live check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms itunes stitcher TuneIn, in cast box talk stream live and of course spotify 
To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.